All right, Derek. So here we are, uh, new episode. So Derek, what is a very famous movie that you've never seen? Uh, a famous movie that I've never seen is uh, Fight Club. You've never seen Fight Club? Never seen Fight Club. Oh my gosh! You want to know what's crazy? Is I just showed that movie to my 16 year old when we were on vacation this summer, and uh, yeah, we had some really good conversations. You got to watch Fight That's Club, great. man. Well, here's my thing is Fight Club. I just went to college with all these guys who basically acted like Fight Club changed their lives and, and all they could ever talk about was Fight Club and it just kind of turned me off and I never really wanted to watch it. So I'm, it's, I'm biased against it's it. It's good to give it like a 10, 10 year break and watch it again, but it's really interesting. And one of the things that's really interesting about it is, I mean, I don't know. It, it'll be inter- I, People can give feedback to this, but in some sense, like, you know, that was like the late 90s. And I think in, in a certain way, Fight Club was in a kind of end of an era. So, like, what my wife and I have been super into, Car and I have been, like, obsessively watching, and I refused to watch it for a while when I saw it on Netflix. Like, this seems so stupid. I'm not going to watch this. We've become super huge fans and just adored it was Cobra Kai. Like, we've become huge Oh, that's Cobra another Kai movie I've never seen is The Karate Kid. And actually, I threw you a curveball because we totally set this up. This is all stage <laughs> conversation right now. But I, I've never seen The Karate Kid. Do but not let Kai... people see behind the curtain, Derek. What the heck, I know, man? I know. Yeah, we've been super into into Cobra Kai, and you haven't seen Karate Kid. But I've not. One of the I've really seen, uh, Ninja Turtles one, two, and three. I've seen three ninjas. The three ninjas kick back. I've seen Surf Ninjas. There's all these early '90s <laughs> karate movies that I'm super well versed in, but yeah. I for some reason never watched Karate See, Kid. This is when we're aware when it becomes very clear that I'm like 12 years, 13 years older than you, and because I didn't watch any of that shit. But yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, but Karate, Karate Kid, was, Kid is that more eighties than nineties? Yeah, it's like eighty three, eighty four. Oh, see, I got in yeah. the nineties like Ninja Turtle fad wave of uh, no. Karate movies. But no, this was so the Karate, the Karate Kid's awesome. Before. And, okay. Co- and Cobra Kai is great. It's 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 you know I thought I was gonna hate it, but I love it. But one of the things that's been really sticking out to me, they, they do this particularly in season one. In season two, they do it a little bit. But what they do is it, it's it's fascinating. It's such great writing is that they're redeeming the villain. Johnny Lawrence. Because Cobra uh, Kai was like the bad guy dojo, right? Yeah, Cobra Kai was the bad guy dojo. So uh, Daniel LaRusso moves to the valley in Southern California, and then he gets beat up, um, and he, he gets picked on, and he happens to be living in this, like, you know, apartment, and the guy who's, like, the maintenance guy of the apartment happens to be a World War II, a Japanese World War II vet who is... And is that a, Mr. Miyagi? And that's Mr. Miyagi. Okay. And so Mr. Okay. Miyagi teaches him karate... Um, by teaching him to sand on, sand off, paint the fence, all this kind of stuff becomes epic movie stuff. And then he ends up fighting the Cobra Kai and he wins, you know, like the whole bad dojo. So what's, so Johnny is like the leader of the, the bad Cobra Kai. So the whole show is like the, the watching him, like what would happen to him, you know, almost 40 years later, 30 years later. What, it would be what like if they him? made a movie about Biff from Back to the Future now. Kind of, it's it's kind of like that, yeah, definitely. But what's fascinating to me, and what I want to talk about in this podcast, and and kind of takes us into into Charles back to Charles Taylor a little bit, is um, that when they show the clips back to the '80s, because that's what they'll do. So you'll see like 
the memory of what happened. And it's fascinating when Johnny Lawrence talks about how he felt picked on by Daniel LaRusso. And they kind of show scenes, and it's like, oh, actually, they're kind of got a point. He was kind of a jerk to him. Even though Are the they whole- showing actual scenes from the yeah, original movie? Yeah, so they pull the like actual scenes from the movie. now? Yes, yes. Okay, okay. So, so they pull those in. But there's a certain... And what I, I just want to talk to you about and maybe get our, our listeners to think about and, and I don't know, you know, where we'd have a forum to talk about this, but there's just such a different ethos between the show and the movies and where the different ethos is moral to me. I mean, there's a, a very different moral ethos, like part of the comic um, driven elements of the show of the two seasons of the show is how back where Johnny is like Johnny doesn't know anything about the internet he's like basically stuck in the mid mid 80s you know but that also mean he means he violates all these like moral codes like he knows nothing about any gender fluidity or he doesn't know anything about like uh just uses inappropriate names for people he like is trying to kind of be redeemed through the Cobra Kai thing but it's still very kind of a, a macho kind of thing and yet and so you're, you're seeing this kind of moral awakening of Johnny Lawrence. So in some sense, like Cobra Kai is a little bit of, well, we could call it a modern moral order tale. You know, like it's an awakening to a certain different kind of moral, a moral disposition. But the thing I'm just really fascinated about is how much edgier. And remember, like this movie from The Karate Kid was really, I mean, it was kind of a, not quite tween at the time, but, you know, definitely a teenage kind of movie, you know. Um, it wasn't Fight Club that would, you know, happen 15 years later or something, you know. It was it was a, a kind of popcorn Hollywood movie. But it's just so much more directly, it just has such a different moral tone to it. And, you know, at the end of A Secular Age, Taylor does this really interesting thing where he's, and it's, it's fascinating for us to think about, you know, you'll probably, this podcast will be posted after the election and who knows, the end of the world. Um, but, you know, we live in such a, uh, a conflicted culture war situation of two sides in battle. And Taylor, at the end of A Secular Age, does this thing where he thinks that the kind of conflicts that exist are more of a triangle than they are like two sides after each other. And the three points of the triangle are really interesting where on one side of the triangle, he, he calls this group like the exclusive humanist group. So these are a group of people who um, kind of deeply believe in a certain moral, moral code. They tend to believe in what he calls the more modern moral order, which is this idea that we can almost progressively become a better, better people in a better society, but we don't need any kind of, statutes or any kind of visions from God or any kind of holy text to do that. We don't need anything transcendent that we can find this within ourselves. So these are like the exclusive humanists. And then the other side of it is what he calls um, the counter, the counter enlightenment people, or we could kind of think about them as the anti-humanists or the kind of neo-Nietzscheans that are very different than these people. And then at the top of the triangle, he puts those who acknowledge transcendence or that there's something beyond. And he thinks that this triangle, and we don't really have images that we could show on this podcast, but that you could almost plot people on on this. And what I find really fascinating about Cobra Kai and then thinking about the older um, Karate Kid is that there's, a, that there's a certain battle within the Karate Kid or there's a, there's a, a certain kind of stream within it that has a kind of nihilistic edge to it or there's a 
battle. And so you, you, you kind of have this sense where there's almost a legitimacy in a Nietzschean kind of way, a legitimacy of picking on this kid, of picking on Daniel. It's like either us or him. You're and talking about the, the original one. The original one. Right. So the fact that it was all absolute and black and white and like the main character was the good guy and, and the Cobra Kai were totally the bad guys. And so it was just right. and, so and, set in the. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and they've talked about this. Like if you know, if you when you get when I, I'm ridiculous, so I get into something and then I go onto YouTube and like try to watch interviews of people talking about how they wrote this or something. And you'll hear these actors talk about how they love this writing so much because it isn't a black hat, white hat kind of western kind of thing where the, the the characters are more blurred and there's there's gray areas which is true but i don't think is really what's going on here i mean that's why i think taylor is helpful because it isn't just complicating them but there's a different moral tone and there was more of a kind of a nietzschean sense in the original one which is that every individual or at least your group and your friends and who's got your back it's uh it, it, you, you try to be the Ubermensch. Like Johnny was the Ubermensch and he, he took what is his. He went after what is his. He didn't listen in a kind of Nietzschean way to these, these kind of, these, these bourgeois um, perspectives that you had to like honor weakness and things like that. And you hear that like in the chanting of the original Cobra Kai, like mercy is for the weak. You know, like they're, they, they, when they would do these things, like show no mercy. And there's, there's all these other, other chants that actually Johnny and the new one puts on the wall. And it really was this Nietzschean sense. And what I kind of think in the, in this, in this new Cobra Kai is it really is the victory of the exclusive humanists in some ways where all of a sudden these kids are like so much more, I mean, they get corrupted as part of the story, but they're, they're so much more open to uh, this kind of human flourishing of everyone having a, a right to, to their own, their, their own way of being themselves and things like that. So there's just this really interesting, um, kind of play off against each other of how these perspectives work and yet then of course neither of them have a kind of deep sense of transcendence within them and so if you think about this as a triangle taylor's point is you can kind of plot people along it you know like and his point is is you'll find people who have different alliances you know so you can find people who are kind of lean more towards the, the humanist perspective but also kind of believe in transcendence or see a, a purpose for transcendence pur purpose for religion and you'll find then them on the other extreme where they think like the only way to get a, a certain kind of humanism is you have to be completely opposed to transcendence, like on the far end of the triangle. And then you can find alliances of the Neo-Nietzscheans and even the exclusive humanists against people who believe in transcendence. Or you can find, um, which in some ways we're kind of finding right now, an alliance between certain nihilists who are all about power and those who believe in transcendence. Like we've, we've kind of seen that coalition between the religious right and particular kind of right politicians who just are kind of after power, not after really perspective. And those those things can get teamed up. But it just is a really kind of fascinating th thing when it, it, it comes to these texts of the Karate Kid universe that there really was a kind of place for this Neo-Nietzschean um, kind of ubermensch fight for what you wanted. You took what you wanted. And in some ways, uh, Daniel pushes back against that but the new moral universe 
30 years later is really Daniel's Daniel's universe. And Johnny has to find a way to exist beyond the kind of neo-Nietzschean, um, you, you take what's yours, you be the ubermensch, and is trying to make sense of that. Um, and yet they're both kind of absent transcendence and then therefore have no mechanism to actually find forgiveness and reconciliation and something bigger than them um, becomes the potential danger within it. So does, does Taylor have a preference for one of the sides of that triangle? Or does he think they're all just sort of out there constantly fighting with each other and pushing back against each other and making those alliances? Like, is there an end goal or is it just he's just describing something that is? Do, do, you, know, do you understand yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Yeah, I think Taylor would say, um, well, as a vocational philosopher, I'm just trying to tell you what is. And I think this is a map that helps us understand what there is. But what has led Taylor in the last, you know, since whenever Sources of the Self came out in the um, early, early 90s, late 80s, 89, I think maybe it is, uh, what's, what's brought Taylor even more so to the kind of fore is this idea that he starts, he doesn't play his cards necessarily, but his own commitments lead him to see things differently. So, for instance, in Sources of the Self, Taylor traces how we get to a self are how what are the different sources that help us build a distinct self you know like what what have we imagined are these sources and he shows how we've moved in this direction where the sources that give us a sense of our true self or help us recognize that we have a self have become um, sources that no longer include transcendence and he just he thinks that that has certain problems to it he believes that that there are richer that richer sources that give us a distinct kind of sense of the self and a self that can find forgiveness, that can embrace beauty, that can um, sacrifice, that that kind of self needs transcendent sources. So, I mean, this is, becomes a really, you know, huge question as, we, as we think about, you know, race and equity particularly, even, even, you know, equity, um, that can one of these sides, the neo-Nietzschean, which in some ways is exactly what like white supremacists and others um, hold on to, though it can take different forms as well, is a neo-Nietzschean or an exclusive humanist side kind of going to win out? And this exclusive humanist side, of course, says, well, we need equity because every human being has a right to, um, to prosper. Every human being um, has a right to speak of their own experience, which is all true. But the issue becomes, particularly we've seen on that side of the triangle, is well, what will happen to really get equity if you happen to be one of these exclusive humanists, went to an Ivy League school, or a person of privilege, you could actually use your power in a way that could bring more equity, but it will mean your kids have to go to a worse school. It will mean that your kids won't have the same opportunity, that, these, that, these, that this privilege has to be redistributed. And, and people want it. I think what we're, what we're recognizing is that on an exclusive human, at the exclusive humanist side, people really want it. But they have no, no, they have no sources to actually enter into sacrifice or another view of the good life that would lead them to say, no, I would even sacrifice the economic advantage or the educational advantage of my own kids so that the whole of society. And what, and it's not to say that de facto like religious communities can do that. I mean, we've seen that 
religious communities have failed often um, to live in that vein. And we're, we're seeing some pretty ugly senses of that now. But it does, like, I think, and I don't want to put word, too many words in Taylor's mouth, that Taylor would wonder if the necessity for the kind of self-sacrifice and the very different frame of what it even means to live a good human life doesn't necessitate some kind of transcendent forces, some kind of sources, some kind of acknowledgement of something beyond, of something more. And if this is because if this is only exclusive humanism and there's nothing beyond, well, what is what's the bigger story? What's the bigger calling that would lead you into doing that? And that becomes the issue. So part of, you know, in, in Cobra Kai, it's kind of like, well, everyone should just do them and everyone should be free to do them. Um, but that, and then, but what happens is they have to stand up against the neo Nietzschean perspective, which says, do me is to conquer you. Okay. Now we have to stand up against, and then we enter into a, a very different kind of, of moral, moral horizon. And kind of what's happening in Cobra Kai is in some ways, what we're seeing is I think what's kind of one, the larger cultural perspective compared to the eighties and nineties is that the more neo Nietzschean perspective is melting away or it's at least melting it's it's moving into different forms maybe the internet does this and it moves into kind of darker corners within the internet or it gets mobilized i think interestingly in more kind of political um perspectives or something like that um, would you say that trump is a neo-nietzschean yeah i think yeah i i or trumpism do. maybe yeah i think trump is and i think the alliance uh with trump is on that triangle of those who kind of still believe in transcendence um, and the neo-Nietzschean perspective that makes sense to them and what they do, what they hate and where they team up and why those people on the kind of right wing of who still believe in some kind of sources of transcendence, though that's a whole nother question. I think the kind of transcendence they believe in is more excarnate than incarnate. It's that belief, the sources of transcendence have just become propositional beliefs, not an actual living tradition or even a living God. But what they love is that they have a mutual enemy, what brings them together. And their mutual enemy is, particularly in the last election, was the epic exclusive humanist hillary clinton we hate her and therefore right, we can team up against and all her. that kind of stuff yeah, yeah 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 and that's that's the rhetoric that really helps trump and so they there's there's a certain glee across like people on the right religiously and even all the way on the really far scary right politically because there is this kind of neo-nietzschean sense of we we have we we've we've got to rise up against these people um, and we can make an alliance um, a, a, against those people. So I think, yeah, I think Trump, and this is what drives, of course, a lot of the country nuts is a lot of the country has taken on more of a moral, a moral disposition, whether they have sources of transcendence or not, the whole educational system and everything has moved more towards a kind of on, on that's on the, on the other side of, well, we'll say it, on the left side of the triangle, if we think about it that way, and into a more kind of... Uh, the left side is the humanist side of the triangle. The humanist side of the triangle, which yep. does, yeah, um, has, has moved more to that. That's become, that's made more sense. And that's, that's particularly, you know, from the 80s. Like, I think about this in the sense of, like, uh, there's multiple reasons for this, and someone needs to write a phenomenology of this, but and maybe we talked about this when we talked about the end of the youth ministry book, but just how much bullying has changed, you know, and that when you, when an exclusive humanist moral kind of code starts to rule in, in really good ways, bullying becomes absolutely anathema. 
Well, when you're dealing with a more neo-Nietzschean world, you know, where uh, it becomes a battle, it becomes a battle for identities, it becomes a battle for, for one's own quest, you know, then, uh, then it has to be tolerated in, in some way. And it just, it's part of life. And, you know, um, teenagers will be teenagers becomes the kind of, becomes the kind of thing. But we, we don't kind of, that's not the way we go anymore. And that's what's so interesting about Cobra Kai is that a culture that was endemic and um, almost had uh, a deep core where bullying was part of it gave coherence to that. And now we're in a completely 30 years later where almost every teenager knows, I mean, bullying, obviously I don't want to be, be naive still pops up here, especially online, but we all, but, but almost every young person knows it's not a good thing, you know, um, and where Johnny Lawrence still thinks like that's how the world runs and is having his own moral awakening um, away from that. So then for, for church leaders and people working in the church, what are some of the, the like repercussions of that or how does that? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the major repercussions, whether you go with me on the, uh, on the read of, uh, of Cobra Kai and, uh, and the karate kid and, you know, as the kids would say, don't at me about that. You know, if, if you think my interpretation is awful, but, uh, I think I think the, the the thing that it is helpful about is is to think about this more as a triangle than two sides against each other, you know, and and how and thinking of people even in our congregation, like to me, you can kind of plot people on, on that, and and I don't want to use that as a kind of totalizing thing, but it does help you recognize kind of where people kind of where people are, and these become the the dynamics that are kind of created by our modern society, you know, that you have this kind of sense of. Uh, people who are still kind of pushing for a certain form of the enlightenment, like that we can progress towards something. And then you have others who think, no, this is, um, you know, we're, we're, there is a kind of will towards power. But then I guess the big takeaway is, um, and, I, and I think we've failed on this, is, is actually being people who don't get reduced to either of those poles. That, you know, we either are people who, are with a religious kind of um, patina, really just exclusive humanists, or no, we with a religious patina that hides a more dark edge. We're really just neo Nietzscheans, and it's all about um, our community or ourselves kind of quest over and against these false moral um, kind of driving forces. New Time Religion featuring Dr. Andy Root is produced by me, Derek Tronsgaard. You can check out Andy's latest book, The End of Youth Ministry, available now that touches on many of the themes that we talk about in the podcast. New Time Religion is a production of the Alter Guild Podcast Network, and you can check them out at alterguild.org. That's A-L-T-E-R guild.org for more great shows. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for another round of New Time Religion.